take your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament book of John. The New Testament book of John. It's part of the daily Bible reading today. And uh, we're going to be looking at just uh, one character. We're going to be looking at Philip. Philip was a disciple of John the Baptist. Uh, We're almost certain he was. And then he became a disciple of Jesus himself. So let's begin at John chapter 1. There are about four or five passages of Scripture that we need to look at in the life of John, the life of Philip. Gospel of John, beginning at verse 1. John has this wonderful introduction to the whole book, where he says in verses 1 through 5, that Jesus was in the beginning, He was with God in the beginning, He was the Word of God, He is God in the flesh. And then jump down to verse 14, He reiterates that by saying that the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace of truth. And then you need to know verse 18. We're going to jump right into Philip's life, the references that we have in John for Philip. And you need to remember verse 18, because John says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now, If I were to give you a little bit of an idea as to what our conclusion is going to be with Philip, let me say this to you. When Sherlock Holmes was talking to Watson, one day when Watson came to his apartment for them to work on a case, Sherlock Holmes said to Watson, after Watson walked up the stairs and came in the apartment, he says, Watson, how many steps are there to my apartment? Now, they'd worked together for a long time. And Watson looked at Sherlock Holmes and said, I don't know. I don't know how many steps. Now, I want you to keep that in mind for just a moment because, you know, all of us are at a different level, spiritually speaking. And sometimes in our growing in the Christian life, some things stick better for others than for the rest of us, if I may put it that way. And Philip seems to be one of those persons. The first reference that I want you to see to Philip is in the very first chapter of John where we have this four-day account. And in this four-day account, John the Baptist is preaching, and Jesus comes by, and John the Baptist looks at Jesus in verse 35, and and he says to two of his disciples, Jesus, look, he is the Lamb of God. Behold, Now, he already did this up in verse 29 the day before. But the two disciples of John are watching John say this and saying, There's the Lamb of God. There's the one who's going to take away the sin of the world. There's the one who's going to sacrifice his life 
so that we can be free from sin. And the Bible tells us in verse 37 that the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus wanted to know what they were following him for. And they said, well, we would like to know where you're going and where you're staying. And Jesus said to them in verse 39, we'll come and see. Now remember that as well. Jesus says, come and see. In verse 40, the Bible says that one of the two who heard John was Andrew. He was Simon Peter's brother. So he went and he found his brother, and he said to Peter, he said, Peter, look at verse 41, we have found the Messiah. Digging down, digging back into the Old Testament and, and just remembering everything that had ever been taught about the Old Testament and the coming of the Messiah, he said, we have found the Messiah. Now, that's Andrew, and the only reason I'm bringing Andrew into the story at this point is because Andrew and Philip are kind of like this. You almost see them together all the time. And in verse 43, the Bible says, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to Philip, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. They lived in the same town. No doubt they knew each other. They maybe worked together. And the Bible says that Philip went out and he found Nathanael and he said to him, now now I want you to notice the difference in the response here. Andrew says, we have found the Messiah. Philip says to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Now, In saying that, he is just a little bit more reserved in what he's saying than Andrew was. You'll remember when the people came to John the Baptist in the first first chapter and said, John, who are you? You'll remember they said, are you Elijah? Are you that prophet that's talked about in the Old Testament? Who are you? They were trying to figure it out. It's almost like... Philip is suggesting that, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting some information to identify who Jesus is, but I'm just not quite sure. So this much I can say that he is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and he was absolutely right. Whereas Andrew saw Jesus as the Messiah, understanding him, no doubt, to be supernaturally empowered in a way like no other person would be, and then, of course, later understanding him to be God himself, Philip is saying, well, we know he's the son of Joseph and lives in Nazareth. And he's, you know, he's, he's probably one of those people that, Moses talked about back there in the Old Testament. Nathaniel, remember at this time, says, and this is just information that's kind of interesting to look at. Nathaniel said at that time, well, my goodness, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's just like a little old podunk town. You know, people would say, how can anything good come out of Wooddale? You know, it's just a little backwoods place, you know. Well, the Bible says, 
what does Andrew, what does Philip say to him? He says exactly what Jesus said to the disciples. Come and see. Come and see. I don't have all the answers for you. I don't have all the questions for you. I mean, I don't have all the questions. I don't even have all the questions. I don't have all the answers. You're just going to have to come and see. And so the Bible tells us that he does. Now, there's one other thing you need to know before we go to the second reference here on Philip's life. And that is chapter 2. Chapter 2 tells us about a, a wedding that was held in Cana of Galilee. And all the disciples were invited to attend. So keep that in mind. The disciples were invited to attend. Philip is a disciple now. He transferred his allegiance from John the Baptist to Jesus. And the Bible tells us there at Cana of Galilee, and you know what happens. You all remember the story. They are having their reception, and they run out of wine. And the Bible tells us in verse 6 that there's six water pots of stone sitting there. They're for purification purposes. And they, have about, uh, they can put about 20 gallons in each one of those. And Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. And I'm just bringing this to your attention so that you can put this in perspective. Philip was there, no doubt. He saw this whole thing happen. And you'll remember that when they took the water, when they drawed the, drawed the water out of the water pots, it was no longer water, but it was wine. And there was enough for the wedding reception. Philip saw that. But keep that in mind, because the next passage of Scripture that we want to look at is in chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. You'll remember that Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee. It's Passover time, so people are crowding into Galilee and Jerusalem. They're getting as close to Jerusalem as they can get, taking up all of the inns and the hotels and all of the places to stay and pitching their tents because of the Passover. So there's a huge crowd coming to Jesus while he is out there by the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible tells us in verse 5, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to his disciples, no, he said to Philip, he said, Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, Jesus knew what he was going to do, so it's not a matter of, Philip saying to him, well, there's a town over here, and there's a bakery here, and one there, and there's about a half a dozen villages over, you know, that are, that are a long way from us, but maybe if we get there and we can get enough food. That's, that's really not the issue. The issue is that Philip is one of those guys where unbelief can be stubborn. He's following Christ but he doesn't understand everything. He's following Christ, but his unbelief kind of kicks up now and then. He's not the only one. The other disciples have that problem too. But Philip seems to have, you know, the Bible does not whitewash the lives of the disciples or the kings or the judges or the patriarchs. The Bible does not do that. I often, I often worry when I do a sermon on someone like Philip because I know he's in heaven I don't know if he's listening to the sermon. I don't know how concerned he is that I might be ratting on him. Now, you and I know that that's the human way of putting it. But these are in the Bible for us to identify with. Here's a guy who took a long time for him to understand. Here's a guy whose relationship with the Lord was, 
was kind of shaky for a long, long time as far as the depth of his faith was concerned. You'll remember, there's a string of these passages of Scripture in the Bible where Jesus says to his disciples when they worry, they're worried about where their next meal is coming from, and Jesus uses the illustration of the birds, and he uses the illustration of the flowers of the field. And, and, and you'll remember at that time he says, oh, you have little faith. You guys have such little faith. You're going to worry about where your food is going to come from. Then the disciples are asleep in the storm. and I mean, Jesus is asleep in the boat in a storm. Jesus. And they're afraid that they're all going to lose their lives. And when Jesus wakes up, they wake him up and, and, they, and Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. You guys have such little faith. You'll remember that when Peter was walking in the water, he began to look. There's Jesus walking in the water. Jesus invites Peter to come out and walk on the water with him. And you'll remember that when Peter is walking in the water, Jesus says to, he starts to look at the waves and he starts to sink. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Now, he could have said that here, couldn't he have? Because here's Philip, he comes back in verse 7, he says, 200 denied. Man, if I add all the people up that are here, and I add all the money it's going to take to feed them, 200 denarii isn't going to be enough money. Lord, we don't have enough money to feed them. It doesn't matter where we could go to get bread, we don't have any money. That's worth about seven months of, uh, seven to eight months of someone's salary just to feed all of these people. Now, Andrew's there. Notice the difference in Andrew's statement. Now, Andrew's not much better. I will say he's got a problem too. But one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, uh, it's not all that bad. We at least have a boy here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. We at least got that. <laughs> you know, when I think of this, I, don't you remember Cana? Don't you remember the, 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 the wine, six pots of 20-some gallons worth of wine that Jesus created right on the spot? So Andrew says, well, we got at least five barley loaves and two small fish. And, and Philip's saying, no, this is impossible. We can't do it. We don't have the money to do this. We just can't do it. Now, let me refer to one other example where... Uh, you know, their faith is just not where it ought to be. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, I just want to bring this to your attention so that you can figure this, so you can, you can put it in perspective with this passage of Scripture. When Jesus sailed across the Sea of Galilee one time with His disciples, after performing a great miracle, in chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 5 and following, now when His disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread with them. They didn't bring any bread with them. They're not prepared for this excursion. And Jesus said to them, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And somehow the disciples got in their minds the impression that Jesus is a little upset with them because they didn't think to bring lunch. And so they start reasoning among themselves in verse 7. They reason among themselves saying, Is it because we have taken no bread? Why is Jesus, like, he's getting on our case? But just Jesus being aware of it said to them, here it is, and if you have a New King James, you can read it easily with me. 
Oh, everybody together. Oh, you of little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? And then what does he remind them of in verse 9? <laughs> do you see that? He reminds them of the feeding of the 5,000. What does he remind him of in verse 10? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up. And then he says, listen, guys, I'm not talking about physical bread. What are you worried about? I'm talking about the spiritual problem of leaven that tends to infect a whole loaf. The Pharisees and the Sadducees have a real tendency to do that. And, and so that's... Now, I'm, I'm telling you, Philip, Philip is a great example of a person who lacks understanding. Philip is a good example of a person who is a, it's just, you know, a lot of information isn't sticking. And I think, I think one, of the, one of the observations that we can make in Philip's life is the reason why a lot of stuff isn't sticking in Philip's life is because he's not paying close attention. And the disciples had that problem. He's not paying close attention. And uh, I'm, it's not just what I say. I think it's pretty clear, but other theologians will say that too. He's just, he just not paying close attention. He's just not listening carefully enough to Jesus. He's not, he's not watching carefully. He can't put the Cana of Galilee miracle with the feeding of the 5,000. And the disciples have the similar problem. Growing in Christ doesn't mean we're going to be perfect right off the bat. Sometimes it takes a long time. And Philip apparently wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. That's okay. Jesus chose Philip. Doesn't the Bible say that Philip didn't come up to Jesus and say, can I follow you? The Bible tells us that Jesus went to Philip and asked Philip to follow him. He uses people who are not perfect. He uses people who are, are, are prone to make mistakes. He uses people who are just um, uh, lacking in maybe faith, and lacking in understanding, I think the best thing, I, I, think, I think this could easily be said of Philip under the circumstances, because Philip was a follower of the Lord. But I think, you know, uh, he could be like the guy who said, I don't understand Christianity. I don't understand electricity either, but I don't intend to sit in the dark until I do. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. That's Philip. That's Philip. Third reference to Philip is in chapter 12 of John. The Bible tells us in chapter 12 of John that they are, uh, they are already in Jerusalem now because it's the feast of the Passover. It's another Passover. Uh, Jesus always wanted to be in Jerusalem during the Passover, so he attended several of those. And the Bible tells us that there were certain Greeks in verse 20 of chapter 12. There were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip. Why would the Greeks come to Philip, by the way? Sometimes I wonder, you know, Philip lived in, in, in near the Sea of Galilee. There were a lot of Gentiles who lived up there. Now, Philip is a Gentile name, isn't it? It's a Greek name for sure. Everybody knows that Philip is not Jewish. It's a Gentile name. Philip of Macedon, that's Alexander the Great's father, right? <laughs> so Philip, the Greeks come to the feast and they came to Philip 
who was from Bethsaida, and, and John just wants you to know, now this guy lives in, you know, he, he grew up in a good home. He grew up understanding the Old Testament scriptures probably. He knew it very, probably knew them pretty well. How much of it was sticking at this point, we're not sure. But the fact of the matter is that they came to Philip. Why, why wouldn't the Greeks come to a Greek? Well, he's got a Greek name. I think we'll, we'll, ask, we'll ask Philip if we can go and talk to Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Philip's not sure of himself, is he? What's he do first? He came and told Andrew. He goes to Andrew and he says, Andrew, I don't know, is this okay? Do you think these will be okay for these guys to come and see Jesus? Now listen, you got to understand, I love Philip. And one of the things I really love about Philip is that he, you know, as soon as he was confronted with the Lord and the Lord asked him to follow him, he goes and he gets Nathaniel right off the bat. I get the impression that just like Andrew, these two people loved inviting people to Christ, but he just wasn't sure at this point. Jesus had said in his ministry that, you know, I'm here to teach to the house of Israel. And maybe he just wasn't sure. So Philip came in verse 22 to Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip both went to Jesus and talked to Jesus about that. Now, Jesus I think what we have here is we have a little bit of the sermon or the little bit of the discussion that Jesus gave, not only to them, but to the Greeks as well. Because I don't think, even though we don't have an account of just exactly what happened there, I would imagine that Jesus did talk to them. And Jesus talked to them about his death and why it was so important. There's a fourth reference. The fourth reference is in chapter 14, verses 1 and following. This is our last reference. This is our last reference to Philip. But this begins in chapter 14. Jesus is, is with his disciples. He is at the Last Supper. They're observing the Passover. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Chapter 14, we know it from memory. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. John has spent time after time after time, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, showing the link between the Father and the Son in the Gospel of John. If you are unclear about that, you need to look it over very, very carefully. You need to clearly see that Jesus is constantly referring to His Father, constantly talking about the authority of the Father and the Son, working together, thinking together, doing everything together. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus the Father is God, and so is Jesus God as well, who took on the form of man. The eternal Son of God. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I love this passage of Scripture, not because it's talking about people who die before the second coming of Christ, but you and I need to look at this. If he's referring to the second coming of Christ in verse 3, the one thing I can be sure of is God has this all planned out for me, by the way. My future's all planned out. My home is all planned out. I do get a mansion, you know? It's coming. It's coming. And I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Thomas, you'll know. 
Thomas was one of the disciples, and he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how do we know the way? And what does Jesus say to him in verse 6? We all know this probably from memory. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's say it together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Jesus says something very interesting in verse 7. The disciples are troubled. It's okay. It's understandable. Jesus is leaving them. Jesus is about to be crucified. This is a tough situation for the disciples. This doesn't look at all like what they expected to happen. Jesus himself acknowledged his own troubled spirit earlier on here. And so the Bible tells us that he said, If you'd have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him, because for three and a half years you've looked at me. You've watched me, and I am my Father's Son And to the Jewish people, to say you were your father's son was to say you were equal with your father. So if you see me, you see me, you see the father. That's what he said. He said it to encourage them. And guess what happens? Philip comes, Philip says to him, Lord, now listen to this. Philip says to him, Lord, I tell you, you know what? We would feel a whole lot better about this. We wouldn't be so upset. We wouldn't be so discouraged. We wouldn't be so depressed about all of this. We could get through this if you would just show us the Father. Lord, could you just do that? Show us the Father. Now, I said in John chapter 1, you needed to know what verse 18 said. You remember what verse 18 said? John chapter 1, no one has seen the Father at any time. The Son has declared him. Philip, I tell you what, he's having a hard time. He's having a hard time. And he says, Lord, just show us the Father. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Moses who wanted to, you know, when, Moses, when God says, I don't know if I'm going to go up with you guys or not. You know, you guys have upset me so much, I might just, uh, unfortunately, I might consume you in my anger because of your sin. And Moses said, oh, but Lord, Lord, if you don't go up and you don't follow us through the wilderness and lead us into the promised land, I don't think this whole trip is worth it. I don't think we ought to even try. And then Moses said, Lord, I, you know, Lord, I've got to see. We've got to see you. Show yourself. Now, he already was showing himself every day in the cloud, descending upon the tabernacle. I mean, the miracles were incredible. Manna every day. I mean, come on. Uh, but anyway let's let's wrap this up with a couple of conclusions here so he says "Uh, just see the father now how does jesus what does jesus say in verse 9 jesus said to him have i been with you so long and yet you have not known me philip you can't be serious he who has seen me has seen the father so how can you say show us the father Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And later on, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming. And then he even says to his disciples on this occasion, when Judas, of all people, has a question for the Lord. 
Judas even says to the Lord in verse 22, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself? You're talking about manifesting yourself to us. How are you going to do that? But you're not going to do it to the world. And then Jesus says these wonderful words. And Philip's got to be listening. He's got to be hearing this. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And what does he say? We will come to him and make our home with him. Holy Spirit is here. He's dwelling in us. But Jesus is on thy present too. The Father is on thy present too. <laughs> Never forget that. He's as close as the mention of his name. Now, I, let me just give you a simple uh, conclusion here as far as application is concerned. I think it's great that, you know, if we would analyze the disciples, we would discover that they're all on a different spiritual level. I have no right to criticize the spiritual level you're on, do I? I can encourage you, like Jesus, say, come on, you know, I want you to grow in this area. I want you. But the fact of the matter is that Philip, even at the end of Jesus' ministry, says, show us the Father. Jesus shaking his head. Philip, Philip, after all of this, you know, some things just didn't stick for Philip. He just needed to spend more time listening to God than listening to himself, I suppose. You know, because, you know, he's reasoning. You know, we self-talk all the time. And he was, he was reasoning all this stuff in his mind. He say, I need to see the Father. He just needed to listen to the Lord more. He needed to be more concerned about that. FDR, I just use this illustration. I almost didn't want to use this illustration. But I think it makes a point. If we remember it when we go home. I think maybe it'll help us to pay more attention and be able to answer the question how many steps are up to the apartment, so to speak. But Franklin Delano Roosevelt decided to find out if anybody was really paying attention to what he was saying one time. This is true. So Franklin Delano Roosevelt, when he was at this, this get-together, as each person came up to him and extended their hand, he flashed with a big smile and he said this to them, I murdered my grandmother this morning. People would automatically respond with comments such as, how lovely, or just continue with your great work. His observation was, Nobody listened to what he was saying until finally there was one foreign diplomat who came up to him. He flashed his smile. They shook hands. He said what he said. And when the president said, I murdered my grandmother this morning, the diplomat responded softly by saying, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> now, don't, no, listen, I, I, not just, I just didn't use that illustration because it is funny. It really is funny. But isn't it pathetic, too, when you think about this? How many times, how many times have you said to yourself, just in the last week or two or month or two, man, people don't listen. People don't get it. People aren't paying attention. Right? Philip just needed to pay more attention to everything he was learning. And the fact of the matter is that Philip, who loved the Lord, 
in chapter 14 was still struggling and needed that unbelief that was so stubborn from time to time. He just thought he needed something other than what the Lord knew he needed. And the Lord addressed that situation. But I love it. You know, you and I, regardless of what's spiritual, and I'll just say this in passing because I love this little application because I've always thought about this with Andrew and Philip because they loved introducing people to the Lord and we need to introduce the people to the Lord whether we understand Christianity fully or not, don't we? We need to introduce people to the Lord whether we can explain it fully or not. You know, we know enough about the Lord to know that He can save us from our sin. It is offered to do that through his sacrifice on the cross. We may not understand how all this works. We may not understand all of the, all of the implications and, and all of the details of it. We don't know it. But, you know, just like Jesus said to Andrew, come and see, Philip said to Nathaniel, listen, I can't maybe answer your question, but come and see. Right? Come and see. Gracious Heavenly Father, help us to be like Philip. And Father, in spite of uh, the spiritual level that he was in, Father, we know that you ultimately cleared all of that up for him and will do it for all of us. And we pray in your precious name that when we pay attention to your word, that Father, we let it sink deep into our hearts. We put it all together. To know that what you say and what you do will always be true. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead us to be able to say to people, regardless of our level of understanding or spiritual maturity, come and see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.